One of the coolest things about being in heaven is being able to see back here onto this earth and, uh, and observe things, particularly from the perspective of how our lives impacted the world that we left behind. And that we see how our children and how our friends and how uh, the things that we said to people and the things that we did and you know, the money that we gave and all of these type of things that are in, still in motion yeah. after we are gone. And there's, some, you know, like when you see those little Google things and they track people and they have little badges beside them and they sort of track them. This is the bad guy driving down the road kind of a thing. It was kind of like that in my head that we get to see from heaven everything that we did that rippled on after our life. And there's a little tag on it that says, you know, Roe did this. You know, and Donna did that, and Jenny did this, and Stone, uh, uh, let me call you. <laughs> you see, when you're, when you're, uh, the reward that we are going to get has a lot to do with how we have lived our lives here on this planet, and the, just the individual small decisions that we have made that are uh, impacting humanity long after we are gone. And we're going to think, man, that is so cool. You know, people put, we have, we have this beautiful thing about all of our waterfront property here, and people are putting these benches everywhere, you know, like in memorial of such a person or whatever as they lived, and that, which I think is just beautiful. But how much more when you get to heaven and you see all of these in memorial signs all over people's lives when they are being impacted by the ripple somehow of the things and the choices and the, the, the things that you did when you were here on this planet. And it, all of a sudden I started realizing, I said, man, that even makes what we do on this planet even more important. Because yeah. I really wasn't thinking about going to heaven and saying, oh man, I just can't wait for my rewards. You know, that bucket of gold that God, what am I going to care about a yeah. bucket of gold when I get to heaven, for goodness sakes? But I thought, wow, wouldn't that be just amazing? You know, you go to the little portal on the wall and you look down at the world <clears throat> and you see the things that you have done, the decisions. And I said, wow, that is amazing. Anytime you get a little feeling, a little blue up in heaven, you just go back and look. And I said, look what's going on. Look. 37 generations later, a million years from now, when Captain Kirk is on the Starship Enterprise, and all of a sudden, there's somebody on there who loves Jesus, and they, they got a little badge on them and says, in memoriam of Tina McDonald. Yeah. Isn't that going to be beautiful when we get to see that? And it's going to go on forever. Ripples don't ever stop. They just keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. So we've been talking about, <clears throat> I haven't spent a whole lot of time with you this summer. And so uh, when last time that I was here, sort of the last time, we were talking about this covenant thing coming to terms with uh, this whole concept, the New Testament concept, that we are in covenant with Almighty God. We spent two years now, starting with the blessing of Abraham, trying to get all the way to the place where the blessing of God is poured out automatically, just as like you're sweating right now, it's automatically just coming on to your life. And we really came to the place where we realized that that comes, you really can't get the blessing. But what you can get is you can get a covenant, if you want one, you can get a covenant with Almighty God. Then the byproduct of having that covenant, just like when I had a covenant with Tina, and I get a lot of blessings because I have that covenant with her. And just like that, when I have a covenant with God, 
it comes with a whole bunch of other things. And what we have, we're, we're, we're kind of, you're sitting right now at the, at the end of it, I think. Because as you've heard about a couple of announcements, when we get to September, we're changing things up a little bit. We're going to head in a slightly different direction. But we're going to try and close everything up today in the 20, thank goodness, oh, it didn't start. I thought it didn't start. In the 25 minutes that I have left, I want to close this up for you and be able to get you all the way now, for anybody that's listening from all the way back at when we started with the blessing of Abraham, if you want to know how to get the blessing of Abraham operating in your life, you came to church in all of the two years that have gone so far. You came today. Today, we're buttoning this thing up. And so when you take a look at it, let me just try and get a couple of bits of recap. When we are dealing with the covenant, the reason God wants to make a covenant with us is so that we can become something called an overcomer. All through Revelation, you got Revelation 2, Revelation 3, I think it pops in again in Revelation 21. When God is talking about you in the book of Revelation, he is referring to you as an overcomer. He says it like this, non-gender specific, he that overcomes. So he's referring to the fact that the whole point of all of this stuff when we're dealing with the New Testament is everything has come together to cause your life to be an overcoming life. And this goes on and on. I mean, let me just read you a few scriptures if these guys can keep up with me. In John uh, 16, 3, be of good cheer, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And then whoever, John, 1 John 5, whoever, uh, who is he that overcomes the, wor- the world? He that believes in Jesus. Jesus overcame the world. When we believe in Jesus, we overcome the world too. Amen. And then in 1 John 5, 4, whosoever is born of God, overcomes the world. Even this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, what we believe overcomes the world. So when we are going down in this road, the whole concept here being God is trying to make your life an overcoming life, no matter what it might be that you are facing. It doesn't matter how crazily impossible it is the situation that you are facing right now. You might be given a report that says, there is no hope, nobody has ever beat this thing before. The giants in your life may be the biggest giants anybody has ever faced. Even so, God has made a way for you to stand in the the winner's circle. You get the crown of victory on your head, no matter what the situation, or when we're closing all this sucker out in the book of Revelation, then he would have said, you know, to him who overcomes, O plus Ian, you know, he didn't make it so good, but you know, it doesn't say that. It says that everybody has been given the power to overcome no matter what the situation is. And so when we are looking at the covenant, the concept of covenant, realize that the reason that God has done this is very specifically that your life, when you get to the end of it, whenever that might be, people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you know what? There goes an overcomer. It didn't matter what that person faced. They overcame it. 
It don't matter what tried to beat them down, they beat it back. No matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, people are going to stand up at your funeral and they're going to go, you know, there goes an overcomer. And the reason that God wants you to do that, wants to enter covenant with you, is so that that specifically can be your epitaph. But there's so much against us. You know, we have to try and figure out life. We have health things to figure out, relationship things to figure out, financial things to figure out. We, uh, we, uh, we, there's so much wisdom that we need. We got the demonic forces that are coming at us all the time. We've even got our own souls, which are completely out of control for most of the time. And then our own walk of faith that requires that we persevere in the face of uh, deception and, 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 uh, 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 and lies in order to get all the way through to the truth. How are we ever going to know enough, do enough, fight enough, stand against evil and deception enough, be good enough, strong enough, persevere enough, be wise enough, rich enough for everyone to look at our lives at the end of it all and say, Garth, there goes an overcomer. I thought to myself, you know what? I am going to need a hundred lifetimes in order for us to get, just for me, with all the stuff on this list, that's my list, by the way, of all the stuff that I have on my list, I'm going to end it up all being an overcomer. God, you are going to have to stretch this runway so far. Nobody's even going to know me by the time. They're all going to be dead and gone for generations if you're expecting me to end up being an, an overcomer out of this. Or... Or it doesn't work like that. Somehow, God knows something. You know, when people do stuff, I see people do stuff that I think is dumb all the time. And I used to, in the early years of my life, when I was dumber than them, I used to think that they were just doing dumb things. Until I realized that when people do stuff that I don't understand, it's really because they know something I don't know. Right? Like if all of you, all of a sudden, if I'm looking this way and all of you are looking at me and all of a sudden, all of you just jumped underneath your chairs, I would not think, oh, you guys are dumb. I would think there is somebody behind me that is going to do something really bad really quickly. I, you know that, but I don't know that. You know, when God calls you an overcomer, he's not saying you're dumb because you don't feel like an overcomer. Most people don't feel like overcomers. You can always probably, maybe there's a couple areas of our lives where you say, you know what, I pretty much got that one. But for the most part, most of us do not feel that way. That, when God calls us overcomers, not because he does not understand something. As a matter of fact, it's because he does understand something. He understands that it doesn't work the way we think that it works. So let's take a look at how do we think it works. Most people say, oh, let me, say, let me ask you like this. Or actually, how many people are really glad to be in church today? Is anybody? Who, who, who's that made the noise over here? Who just screamed? Is that you, Debbie? Did you just go, woo? Who did that? Who did? Who did it? Oh, Amy. There you go, Amy. There's 20. I didn't have a Canadian. There's an American $20 for you for doing that. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this.
What if I could get God on my side? Let me ask you, let me ask you this question. What if I could get God on my side and get him to do all the hard work? Here's what I'll do. I'm just going to rub the lamp and out of it, God will come and grant me three wishes. Don't you think about that for a moment. How many of you would like it if God was like a little, a genie in a bottle? You know, the Lord said to me, he whispered this in my ear when I was putting this teaching together. He said, you know what, Ian? Everybody wishes they had a genie in a bottle. So if you thought, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not really interested in having a genie. It's a, it's a lot of work to carry around that little lamp. <laughs> you a liar. Everybody wants a little genie in a bottle. Almost everybody comes to God, does so to access God's power and strength. Almost everybody. Every now and again, there's Mother Teresa who comes and all she wants to do is give her life away. But that is not the norm. That's why most people pray. They pray and they go, God, here's all my problems. I need you to fix them. And if you could do them before I finish breakfast, that would be superb. Most Godward folks, when I say these type of things, most Godward folk get so offended when God is compared to a genie in the bottle. But here's the crazy part. God would like to be your genie in a bottle. This is what really gets crazy. Natural people who think God is a genie in a bottle often do better in life than Godward folk who get offended by the fact that we would even suggest that God is a genie in a bottle. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reduce God to being a genie in a bottle. What I'm trying to get you to understand, and I'm gonna work on it as this final piece, so that the key to the covenant is to understand, is to get us Godward folk to realize God would like to rather be a genie in a bottle than who you think he is. Because if you think that God is very busy growing you up and spanking you and teaching you a lesson and seeing if you can praise him even in the middle of suffering, who sees all the negatives that are going on in your life and says, here's what I'll do. I'll pile on a few more just to make life even more difficult so that people can see that you still go to church on Sunday on the long weekend, even though life sucks. And God is going to get some glory from the fact that you still made it to church, even though all that is going on. If you think God is like that, God would rather you think that he's a genie in a bottle. You see, when we talk about covenant, what is driving Godward religious people crazy is that we just don't realize that what a covenant does is God climbs in to your bottle. And he says, everything that I have, all my strength, all my ability, all my wisdom, all my gifts, all my understanding is all available for you. All you need to do is rub the side of that lamp. 
Now, there is no lamp, okay? <laughs> All you need to do is realize that God, in fact, is that way. So that when you come into difficult situations, what's the first thing you're going to do? I mean, if I, had a, if I knew that I had a genie in a bottle, if Robin Williams was climbing into a bottle and, I, and all of a sudden I knew that he was in there and that he was going to grant me three wishes. When I had a problem that I needed solved, an impossible one, I could cut my grass myself, but when I have an impossible situation, I would not be worried about that. Would you be worried about that? I would not be worried about that. What do I got to do? I got to go, I got two wishes. Third wish, of course, is to, for a thousand more wishes. But the th first and second wish, I would be so good because I know the genie is going to do it for me. Can I tell you something? That's what God wants. He wants you to think that he is totally going to do the things for you that he can do. I mean, we get into a lot of problems here because our genie is not necessarily as time sensitive and specifically cooperative as we would like him to be. <laughs> so when we say we would like him to do it, he goes, yes, I'll do it. And then you ask, well, when would you do it? And how will you do it? He says, well, you know, I can't tell you that. <laughs> but don't worry about it. I am going to do it. And it will be at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what should happen to us is that we should come into this equation and go, well, if that's, if that, sure, okay. So that I'm just not going to worry about it anymore. Amen. Well, we don't do that. What we want to focus in on is, we want to know the what that did God do. Right? Let me ask you a question. Because it was beautifully demonstrated in the room. It was my intention. I'm such a good predictor of human behavior. So I gave Amy $20 for saying what? Woo! What happened in the room? Everybody went, woo, thinking I was going to give you $20 because you went, woo, but I didn't. And then everybody forgot about it. Instead of you realizing, you know, if Ian would give Amy $20 for doing something stupid like, woo, well, he must be a pretty generous guy. So I'm just going to just believe that he's going to give me $20 too. We didn't do that. We all of a sudden decided to become the whoo church. And everybody, and everybody tosses around $20 bills. Because we are predisposed to see the miracle, not the person who did the miracle. Me. Do you see that? Now when we read our Bibles, we think about the $260,000 mortgage that was paid off. It's not glory to the 260,000. It's glory to, the God, to God who told the guy who obeyed the God who told him to give the 260,000. We should all be asking, can I have his contact information by chance? But we tend not to do that. And then what happens is, is that we get into a situation because Alex is in this situation. He's got a, a situation going on in his life that sounds a lot like the situation I got going on in my life. God shows up and goes poof and fixes his problem in a moment. Somebody hands, let's say you've got a, a, you need $500. Somebody comes and just hands you a couple of brownies and then it's all done. And so I say, like, that's perfect because I need $500 too. And if God is no respecter of persons, <clears throat> Then if he did that to Alex, I'm, I'm, I'm being pious, but I'm looking for God to do the same thing for me. Yeah. The, the problem is 
God's nature did not change. Yes. He is definitely going to help you and solve that problem for you. But the problem will be he almost certainly, and I'll, one day I will get to say he certainly, but I'll, today I'll say he'll almost certainly never do it the same way he did it for the person whose testimony you are listening to. And that's where we get a problem. We start thinking that, wait a minute, God must not be a genie in a bottle because he did not do for us what he did for them. But not that he's not going to do it or didn't do it and you just don't know about it yet. But we all of a sudden, we build these doctrinal, well, God is not a genie. Or if he is a genie, he's a bad genie because he doesn't do the job very well. Because I asked him to do it and I guess he didn't do it. He said he was going to do it, but he didn't do it. Well, come back tomorrow or the next day or whatever. We have to get to the place in covenant where we understand that God has said, yes. He has said, I am here to give you absolutely everything that I have. Beloved, I am with you always and all that I have is yours. All that I have to be able to do as a human being is trust that God is actually going to do that. I know that sounds crazy, but can I tell you something? It is the stinking hardest thing to do. Let me give you an example in my 72 minutes that I have left. Let's, let's watch this. Actually, let me, I'm going to jump ahead. I, I'm going to take you to a paraphrase. You'll be able to find this pretty close to this <coughs> in your Bible. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Um, oh, no, no, don't go there yet. In Deuter let, me, let me give you an example, but I've got to set it up a little bit for you first. In Deuteronomy 34, it says this about Moses. How many of you have ever heard of Moses? Charlton Heston. The, no prophet... Has, in Deuteronomy 34, it says this about Moses. No prophet has ever been in Israel like Moses, whom God knew face to face. In Exodus 33, it does it a little better for us. In verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. Or perhaps your Bible says, as one would speak to a neighbor. And then in Psalm 103, in Psalm 103, David is referring to, to Moses here. He said that he made God, God made known to Moses his ways. But to the children of Israel, he made known his acts. So just kind of like the same situation we just dealt with right there. You saw that I gave Amy a $20 bill. But you didn't understand why I did it. You're starting to understand why I did it because I'm using it so many times in my preaching today. <laughs> but you didn't at the time know why I did it. And so when Moses is interacting, as we're going to take a look here at Moses interacting with God. And I want to draw your attention through my little skit, my little paraphrase here, what it's like, uh, wh how was Moses thinking when he was interacting with God and see if it doesn't line up with some of the things I've been sharing with you already today. Are you good? Are we all good to do that? Okay, can I have a little bit of, can maybe drop the lights down a little bit? Give me a little bit of mood so that we can just enjoy the moment. This is a story now 
of Moses at the burning bush. How many of you remember Moses at the burning bush? So we're gonna come, bring it down a little bit here. We're gonna, that's good. You can, hear, you can hear the burning bush in the background here. Moses is now beginning to interact with God. I mean, he's been looking for God because Moses has realized that there's a very big problem going on in Egypt. And so this is what Moses says to God. He says, God, his God is here. Oh, this is God, hello. This is God and this is Moses. Moses turns to God and he says to God, God, don't you see the suffering of your people? Now we're just neighbors, we're friends. We're just kind of talking together like we would talk to each other. Like two people would sit down and say, hey God, how, how about them bills? He's kind of going, you know, as, as the, the conversation kind of increases a little bit, but God, Moses says to God, God, did you, have you seen the suffering of your people? And God says, well, yes, Moses, I have seen the suffering of your, my people. And Moses says to God, well, why aren't you doing anything about it? Are we just talking? Well, I'm not getting mad at anybody. We're friends. And so Moses says to God, why aren't you doing anything about it? And God says to Moses, well, I am. I'll take a little moment here, a director's cut. I want you to figure out now, what is Moses actually thinking about here as he's interacting with God? What is, in the, what is behind the scenes in Moses' mind? Is actually Moses trying to convince God, like, dude, don't you see what's going on over there in Egypt? Shouldn't you be doing something about it? Because that's how most of us think all the time. When we're relating to God, I got this problem, God. Don't you see my problem? Are you doing something about my problem, God? You need to fix this problem. That's kind of why we have this covenant thing going on because I need you to fix these problems. Can you please just get at fixing these problems? And God is saying to him, like he's saying to Moses here, I am getting the problem fixed. Let's, let's just go over for a moment. Now, it's just going to be, uh, uh, uh. now listen to what God says to Moses. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus, sh uh, let's go to a different translation. Let's go here to, uh, sorry, sorry, that's the Elizabethan. That's for the Shakespearean crowd. I'm going to go to a different translation. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll go to a Bible, and we'll go to the New King James. That'll be quick. Moreover, God said to Moses, oh, that was the New King James. Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent, you, sent me to you. And this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. He says to Moses, go and gather all the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, I have surely visited you and seen what you have, has been done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Moses, you are to tell the people this. And then they will hear your voice and you will come and you and the elders and the, will come to the king of Egypt and you will say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. In, paragraph, in, in parentheses here, he's saying, 
All right, let us go out, free us for three days. We're going to go way out into the desert. Don't worry, uh, Pharaoh, we'll come back, we promise. But I am sure that the king of, God says now to Moses, but you're going to do all that kind of stuff, but I need you to know that the king of Egypt is not going to listen to you. He's not going to let you go, not even by my mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my wonders, which I do this in the, do in the midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and they shall say, uh, uh, and it shall be when you go that you will not go empty handed, but every woman shall ask her neighbor, uh, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver and gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters and so shall you plunder Egypt. Imagine how Moses would have felt sitting beside God, talking to each other as friends. This part is not in the script. Moses, if I was Moses, then I would turn back to God and I say, God, <clears throat> I get all that part about me going there and confronting the people of Israel and then confronting Pharaoh, the single most powerful man on the planet. And nothing is gonna happen because I do that. They're gonna ignore everything I do. And then you're gonna show up with all the mighty wonders. And I would say to God, I'd say, God, this just, here's an option. I'm just talking here. Why don't you just do the mighty wonders? And then the people will have nowhere to go. You can kind of lead them maybe with a cloud or a fire or something like that. I'll be waiting for them over here on Mount Sinai, I'll, I'll put a flag up and I'll wave, you've arrived. Why don't we just do it that way? Isn't that what you would think would be an easier way to do this? Rather than Moses go all the way there, take such an enormous risk, step out on what God promised him to do, go before Pharaoh, go before his own people. Why wouldn't God just do it all himself? You see, that's the problem. We don't realize that that's not how God does it. When you're talking about, when David talk about, talks about God, that he said he showed Moses his ways. These are his ways. We want to show God our ways. God, here's what we do. I'll sit here if you get me a lazy boy and a fruit punch, that would be great, and I'll just hang out right here. You bring the people here. When you get them here, I'll surely lead them. And God says, that's not how I do stuff. The way this is going to work is that we're going to go. You're going to listen to me, and then you're going to go, Moses. Then when you go, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how it's going to turn out. The ways of God in covenant is not us telling God how it's going to be, like a genie. The difference between God and a genie is that God wants you to do it. God wants to empower you. If you go back and read the scripture, I'm out of time, but when you, if you go back and read this section of scripture, you're going to find out that what God is saying is that Moses, 
I am going to make these mighty wonders come out of your hands. I'm going to cause these mighty deeds to come out of your mouth. I'm going to cause my power, God speaking, to be revealed through you. What you need to do is you need to go knowing. If you look in, 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 in 34.10 there, it says, knowing that I, God speaking, am certainly with you. Can I tell you, this whole thing about covenant, you can shut the burning bush. There, the whole thing about covenant, <laughs> she's kind of wrecking the mood now. <laughs> Brad said, are you sure you want to do that? It's going to put everybody to sleep. The whole thing about covenant, when you, it says that it's going to be, you're going to become a, 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 an overcomer because of faith. Because you believe something. What you have to believe, the, where it should all start, okay. is that I believe God is certainly with me. No matter where I go, no matter what situation that I face, my first inclination when I am facing something that is so impossible when I am so outnumbered, when I am so outgunned, is that I realize in that moment, wait a minute, God is certainly with me. Did Alex leave the room? He's the keeper of the clock. Let me, let me read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 34. You know when I said that, God, that Moses, God knew Moses face to face? Listen to how the rest of that scripture goes. Never since then has there been anything like the signs and wonders that God sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh, to his servants, and to all his land. Nothing to compare with all the powerful hand of his, Moses, and all the great and terrible things that Moses did as every eye in Egypt watched him. You see what God, why was he having the little chat? Why was God explaining to Moses his ways? Because God is not interested in God getting the, the, the credit for the stuff that goes on. He's actually looking for you to get the credit for the stuff that goes on. And then when you get the credit, somebody knows your address, they know your phone number, then you go to them and say, listen, you want to know how I did it? I did it because God is with me. You can't deny that God is with me. You saw what I did. And now all of a sudden, when Pharaoh would come to him, when the Egyptian people would come to him, they would go, you know what, Moses? Man, God is surely with you. Listen to the other verse that I had, Exodus 33, when it says that Moses spoke to God as a friend. I, this is so cool. The, 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 the scripture ends this way. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. He was in the, 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 the tabernacle at this time. And then Moses would leave the tabernacle and he would go to, to back to the camp. But 
The young man who assisted him, Joshua, would remain behind in the tent. If you read the book of Joshua, God comes to Joshua a number of years later, and he says, Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. I need you now to go and lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Now, in Numbers 13, Joshua was one of the guys who Moses sent into the promised land to see what it was like. And there'd be giants there. They're fierce peoples that occupy the promised land. So you would think that Joshua would say the same things that Moses thought. So God, how are you going to do this? So you're going to wipe them all out like seven or eight nuclear bombs, and then we're going to walk in and just get the grapes and the honey and the... Joshua didn't say that. Do you know why Joshua didn't say that? Because Joshua knew the ways of God. He'd been hanging around outside the tent listening to the conversation that God and Moses were having. And then he hung around perhaps to ask a few questions of his own. When it came time, <clears throat> it's now your time. When it came Joshua's time to do the thing that God had called him to do. He understood the ways of God. He wasn't waiting for the acts of God. He wasn't looking for locusts to come through. He didn't need the Jordan River to turn to blood. He didn't need the great death angel to come down over the peoples of the promised land and wipe them all out. He didn't need any of that. You'd think he would say that because that's what God did for Moses when Moses had to do this. Joshua didn't care about the deeds. He cared about the God of the deeds. And he would say, as he did, because God said, go. And Joshua said, okay, guys, let's go. And the whole book of Joshua is God going, it's Joshua going through miracle, the, the Jericho, remember the whole wall fall down thing? All those things after, these are a, this is a nomadic, desert nomadic tribe of people who were the descendants of generations of slaves going up against the fiercest of armies the world had ever assembled, including the family of Goliath, who looked just like Goliath, by the way. And Joshua's going, yeah, that's a totally impossible thing, God. There's no possible way I'm ever going to do that unless you give me the plan and tell me what and when. No. Joshua said, you know what, God? I know who you are. I'm not looking at the $20. I'm looking at the person who gave the $20. And if you're saying go, I'm going to go. And I know. I'm not afraid as I go. I'm not expecting the worst as I go. I'm expecting to be just as victorious. Doesn't have to work the same way. It doesn't have to have the same timing. But I'm expecting, Joshua speaking, I'm expecting it to go just like that because the same God who did it for Moses is going to do it for me. Not necessarily the same way. Not necessarily in the same timing. But that God is going to do for me what that God did for Moses. Put your hand over your heart.
and say this with me. Say, God, from this moment forward, what I care about is who you are, not what you do. Because I know what you do changes every time. When you do it changes every time. What doesn't change is who you are and how much you love me and how much you've declared to me that certainly you will always be with me. So I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to be anxious about. There's no situation impossible enough that you still don't have a solution, that you still can't bring me to that position of overcomer, no matter what it takes for me to reach my destiny, no matter how impossible that may seem today. I know, just like Moses knew, I know, just like Joshua knew, that you are always with me. Your power, your strength, your wisdom, your foresight is always causing me to be an overcomer. That's the truth. I'll live out of that truth and the blessing that it creates for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.